0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestoakville.ca. Move, move, Lord, greatly among us. Oh, Lord, we pray. I delight, Lord, I delight that we get the privilege of gathering as the family of God, as the bride of Jesus Christ, Lord. Just think of all those across this world, loved ones, who do not know Christ. They have no family like this. They have no part in the kingdom of God as of yet. But you do. Why? Why? By grace. We don't deserve this. There's nothing we have done that entitles us to be called a child of God. And so for reasons beyond us. But here we are. Saved by faith in Jesus Christ. We are part of his church. We are one of his children. We get to open up his word. God wrote a book. And he's given it to us. And now we get to learn from it. That he might pursue us and love us. Why do we get to do this? What a privilege. What a joy. What a grace. This isn't time for his passing. This is life itself. We are so blessed. Father, we are so blessed. Here we are. Here we are filled by you, led by you, loved by you. How is it possible that this grace would be upon us? We don't deserve to be here, and yet we are. Oh God, help us to see this is not an hour and a bit we pass by. This is life eternal. This is God Almighty interacting intimately with his children. We are blessed. We are graced to be in church today to meet and encounter the living God. Aren't we, church? We're so blessed. It's His grace upon us. Help us, Lord, to see me. so thankful. Not complaining, not grumpy, not wandering around aimlessly, but sitting down and saying, wait a second, I'm loved by God, the Lord Himself, and therefore there's no place I'd rather be. This is where I want to be, because this is where I hear from God. This is where I'm loved by God. This is where I know what God has for me in my life, in my family, in my church, in this world. So we, Lord, we say it's a privilege. What a privilege to open your book. Who am I, Lord, to be able to do this on behalf of you? What an awesome task. What an incredible privilege and blessing that you have granted. Unworthy I am, unworthy we are, but to the one who is worthy, to the one who holds all things in the palm of his hands to you. Wow, wow, Lord. This is not going through the motions. This is church. This is supernatural time. With the living God, may we be found so faithful and blessed to the one perfectly faithful to us. I pray this with great fervency, desire, and faith. In the name of Jesus, and if you agree, you can shout out a big, amen. Amen. And as you do that, please open your Bibles to the book of Jonah. Please open your Bibles to the book of Jonah, second week in our series, Jonah, God's Relentless Pursuit of You, of Me, of Us. God is... In pursuit of us because he loves us so much. Here's our sermon title today. It's this um, You can run, uh, but you can't hide. That's a great truth to understand when God is in pursuit of his chosen people, his chosen instrument. You can run, but you can't hide. In fact, that's a great little thing to turn to your neighbor and say right now Go ahead, tell them you can run, but you can't hide. Go ahead, you tell them, you remind them. You can run. But you can't hide, you know, and as I think upon this theme, some of you love doing that so much, hey, eh? but as I think upon this theme of running but not being able to hide, I, I thought this week of the story of Nikki Cruz, and some of you will know who he is, some of you will not. Let me tell you, someone gave me this book two months ago, two months before I was saved, and it made a massive, it was one of the things that God was sowing seeds deeply in my heart, and it was a book called Run, Baby, Run. And there's a a book on the story of Nicky Cruz, who was a gang leader in the heart of the slums in the hood of of New York. And he grew up in an awful environment. He professes himself, he believes his parents were Satan worshippers and actually possessed by Satan. With the things that he saw, the darkness he was living in, the extreme violence and abuse that he was subjected to. Just the horrible, horrible events as he grew up as a child in the midst of such a Dark and awful home. And of course, this led to his destruction. This led to incredible violence. This led to a pursuit of self and drugs and and to see the uh, pursuing the dark things of the world. And there he was. He ended up being a leader of this gang. You can imagine all the things that went on within these circles that he was living in. But one day, he was confronted by a pastor named David Wilkerson. If you know anything about David Wilkerson, he died a few years ago, tragically, in a car crash. He was a prophet guy pastor, though. He had little no fear of man and a tremendous fear of God. And he had such a passion and a heart to see the loss confronted by the love of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So whatever it happened, he confronted Nicky Cruz and all his violence and all his anger, all his hate. He confronted him with the love of God and the gospel. You know what Nicky Cruz did to him? Punched him in the face. Or slapped him in the face at the very least, and he says he threatened to kill him. You talk to me about Jesus Christ, I will kill you. You know what Pastor Wilkinson said to him? This is the love of God. Pastor Wilkinson said, You can cut me up into a hundred pieces and throw me on the street, and every single piece would still love you. And that stunned Nikki. He's never even heard of this kind of love. Who is this guy? How could he possibly say it? And he left, and he was so impacted and so affected. It was a few days or a few weeks later, he found himself at a rally that Wilkerson was doing, and he heard the gospel. The first time he truly found and heard the love of Jesus Christ, never in his life, never in his home, has he heard such a thing. And he was confronted by the pursuit of God, and he gave his life to Jesus Christ along with many of his other gang leaders. And wouldn't you know it, God took this life, Nicky Cruz, and used him to speak to thousands upon thousands and thousands of people worldwide with the message of love with the God that says you can run, but you cannot hide. This is the pursuit of God. When he has his eyes fixed on you, it's over. You're done for in the best possible way of those words. You can run, loved ones, but you can't hide. Why? Because the power and love of our awesome God is just that. It's so powerful and so awesome. As we jump into our text today, Jonah chapter 1, verse 4, I want to see, I want you to see the first three words in this text as we flow and understand our context of God's love and power and his pursuit. They mean so much here. Look at chapter 1, verse 4 of Jonah, and it says, But the Lord but the Lord. Now, this is the you can't hide part of our message. In verse 3, Jonah runs. In verse 4, now we find out he's not going to be able to hide. Why? Because it's the Lord that's after him. Jonah goes on the run. Notice this. That initiates the movement of God upon his life. When Jonah begins to run from God, God's like, oh yeah? Yeah. Oh yeah, let's see who's faster. And this initiates the movement of God upon the life of Jonah, which is so amazing. Now notice the text, it says, but the Lord. Notice the word Lord there is in all caps. As opposed to, this is not Adonai, ruler God, this is God Yahweh. This is, this is the title designated for the name that God gave to Moses at the burning bush. Tell them, Moses, that I am sent you. Tell them that Yahweh sent you. Now the significance of this name Yahweh... From God to his people. This is when God is allowing himself to be known personally by his people, by his children. So just think about that statement right there. When it says, but the Lord, Yahweh, eternally existing, omnipotent, holy God, is allowing himself to be known again by his people. The God who is transcendent, above, so far above us in holiness, is becoming Imminent, meaning He dwells with us in His holiness. He draws near. He allows Himself to be loved and heard and spoken to and even to be called out by name. When we see the Lord here, this is the God of covenant relationship. That's what He's saying to Moses. That's what it's saying right here in our text today. All caps, Lord, Yahweh. The God of covenant relationship. This is the God who guides, who delivers, who forgives, who draws near, who helps, who hears, who responds, and has covenanted with his people to do so. So just imagine that in the context of Jonah right now when it says, but the Lord... This is the God, the Lord, who's made a covenant with his people that he will never forsake them. When we're looking at the context of our God, he has made a covenant relationship with you. And when he makes a covenant, he's keeping it. So this isn't just any God pursuing Jonah. This is Yahweh. This is the Lord, the transcendent yet imminent God. That when Jonah runs, Yahweh runs after Jonah. And that is so significant because when you run from this Lord, this Yahweh, this is why you cannot hide. And when we run from him, it's this same God, Yahweh, that comes after you. That's why we say, if you're going to run from God, I don't like your chances. Because it's the Lord that is coming for you. It is the ruler of the universe, eternally existing, omnipotent in all his glory. This is the one who comes after you and me even today. And so this takes us to our text today. So I can choose to run. I can choose to run from God. But let's be sure of this. If I choose to run, Yahweh's going to come after me. And this is what I learned then from the book of Jonah in verses 4 to 17. The first thing is this. If I choose to run, be sure of this. The Lord will stir things up to wake me up. The Lord will stir things up to wake me up. This takes us now to verse 4. It says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had got out into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. This is really um, an amazing story, isn't it? The first thing I want you to notice in these verses here is the sovereignty of God. Notice in verse 4. The Lord hurled a great wind, which caused a mighty tempest that said the ship threatened to break up. So notice again within our text, so far within the story, Jonah was allowed to go to Joppa. Jonah was allowed to pay the fare. Jonah was allowed to board the ship. Jonah was allowed to fall asleep in the cabin. But let's be sure of this, okay? Jonah was allowed to do these things, but Jonah was not in charge. It's interesting how the Lord in our lives will allow us at time to flee for a time. It's interesting that the Lord will allow Jonah and allow us at times to seemingly progress in our sin. We think we're getting away with things. We think that things are going great and life is going well as we pursue ourselves and our self-indulgence and our sin. At times, the Lord will allow us to place ourselves at sea, so to speak. But let's be sure of this. Because the Lord loves us, he might allow us to even set out to sea and the waters might be calm for a bit, but be sure of this. There will come a time where he will start to stir the waters. There will come a time that we think, man, things are going great. This is a great, easy, smooth seas, no waves around, the wind's not blowing, it's so perfect. But listen, because the Lord loves us, there will come a time where he will start to stir the waters to get our attention because he loves us so much. Isn't that so many of our stories too? There we were in life, pursuing our thing, everything's going great, and all of a sudden a storm came in. And all of a sudden, our intention was shifted away from self and to God. All of a sudden, we realized in fear, we are helpless on our own. This is what's happening for Jonah. Why? Because God loves him so much. God is sovereign over the storm, loved ones. Because at the end of the day, he wants the heart of Jonah. God is sovereign over your storms and mine as well. Because At the end of the day, he loves us too much to let us stray. Don't miss this too. The ship that Jonah wanted to use for escape would be the very ship that God would use to bring his servant back to him. Sometimes the very vessels of sin that we jump in and try to drive away from God in are the very same vessels that God in his sovereignty can use to actually turn us around and bring us back to himself. Awesome how God is sovereign in these things. We think about this and we think about the stories within this church and how many people have stood up at one time or another and says, I was going in my direction and my way in life. I mean, just think of the baptisms we have heard across the history of this church, hundreds and hundreds. And baptism after baptism, they stand in the tank and I was going my way, doing my thing, pursuing my sin, loving my alcohol, doing my pornography, pursuing my life, living for money. And all of a sudden in the vehicle I was in, I found out I was empty. I had no meaning. I had no purpose. I was miserable in self. And God me and God struck me and God opened my eyes and I heard the gospel. I was saved in Jesus Christ but there I was pursuing self and the storm rushed in and life bottomed out. I had nothing else to live for and then I saw Jesus Christ and now I'm standing before you today in the baptism tank because God is my savior. He has loved me and saved me and even in the midst of my seas or stormy and wavy, God sent a storm to see my heart go to him because he loves me so much. Story after story After story, listen, listen, you can run from God. It's only a matter of time before he stirs things up to wake us up. Because he loves us so much. How many of you sitting in this room right now, you're in this right now, in the midst of the storm. Why? Because he loves you. And because he wants to wake you. Notice now in verse 5 how serious the storm was. It says the mariners were afraid. Why is that a big deal? Because they were professionals. They've seen a storm or two. What kind of storm would it take to make them all afraid? A huge one is the answer. It was a storm that the text says would destroy the ship. Notice too, that each cried out to his God. Notice here, notice how seldom atheism is found in the midst of the true storms of life. Notice when the storms really hit, how quickly human beings look beyond themselves because in themselves they can't find the meaning, the purpose, and the Savior that they need. So here they are, these pagan sailors crying out to whatever God they can think of. It's here in this helpless estate that religion is so often found quickly. Please see this too in the serious storms of life. Notice that they chuck the cargo overboard. Now, the cargo was their wealth. That was the reason that they were sailing in the first place. But again, when the true storms hit, the cargo matters not. Loved ones, let's just learn. Let's just learn. When your life is at stake, the money doesn't matter. The house doesn't matter. The car doesn't matter. All that matters is your life. And here these sailors are learning quickly. Help, help. We're going to die. We're going to die. Check it all. Check it all. Check it all. If we can just save ourselves. Oh, if we as believers would live in this way too to understand what actually counts, what actually matters. The Lord stirs things up to wake us up But the bigger picture here is beyond the cargo and beyond the pagan sailors running around crying out to whatever God they can think of. The bigger picture is God's love that is cast about a major storm to wake up the one person that he loves in this case who's just being disobedient to him. Look at verse 5 now, halfway down. It says, But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Okay, so we're gaining context as to the extent and the significance of this storm. And the question that we have is, how would anyone possibly be sleeping through the storm? Now, we all have family members that seeming can sleep through a lot. you have a family member who can do that? Anyone have family members who can do that? And they get snoring away and sleeping through the most crazy things. But this is a whole other level of sleeping through, okay? The ship was about to be destroyed by the storm. And there's Jonah, fast asleep in the bottom of the cabin. How is that possible? In some sense, it's ridiculous, how could he do this? Was it, was it exhaustion? Was he that tired? One of the comments that we need to see here is when we run from God in sin, it is exhausting. It is. Disobedience is exhausting. Fighting our conscious conscience as against the will of God. It's so exhausting. Some of you are here right now, some of us are here right now, and just and just we're we're running from God. We're disobedient in sin and we're exhausted. It's so tiring. To do. Was that the reason that Jonah slept? He was just beside himself and just laid down and said, "I'm done." We don't know for sure. If you are here right now and you are in that place, the advice God gives to you: is stop running, stop, and find rest in Jesus Christ through brokenness, repentance, and forgiveness in Him. But let's be sure of this: Jonah's sleep here in verse five represents the disobedience and apathy of his own heart. His ears were closed. His heart was so hardened. He was in physical and spiritual sleep so deep that the Lord sent a storm, but then the Lord had to send a pagan sailor to wake him up. Just think about that. And loved ones, how dangerous is spiritual sleeping? So many portions of the church are asleep in the midst of the storms of this life and the storms wreaking havoc across this world. Notice the pagans are praying. Jonah's sleeping. The storm is raging. Jonah's hiding. The danger is great. Jonah doesn't even know it. Why? Because he's fast asleep. Again, sections of the church and many believers are the same. At the critical time, we must be awake with the gospel, ready to be used of Christ. Honestly, honestly, we're asleep. No wonder Jesus says, wake up. No wonder Paul says, wake up. No wonder Peter says, wake up. up." no wonder the Lord, Yahweh, says to his church over and over again, Wake up. Wake up. Why? Because the Lord loves us. Because he loves us. He stirs things up in our lives through storms at that to wake us up. And this is why he also brings verse 6 into our lives. He says, So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. It's interesting. Notice this. The last time Jonah heard arise and call out was verse 2. And in verse 2, it was God who said, Arise, Jonah, and call out against Nineveh. And here is Jonah in his disobedience. You see what the Lord does. The Lord in his grace and his love and his mercy, now he sends a pagan sailor with the same phrase, Arise, you sleeper, and call out to your God. Amazingly here, a pagan sailor wakes up Jonah in his spiritual physical sleep and says, Wake up and pray. Isn't that amazing? Wake up and pray to your God. A pagan sailor, arise, get up, pray to your God. That he might hear us and save us. The people that God can use under his sovereignty, it's awesome. And we are learning here that as we run from God, God stirs to wake and listen to this. You must hear this. God is sovereign over the storms of your life. God disciplines those he loves, Hebrews 12. If you are not disciplined in the Lord, you are not a child of God, it says in Hebrews 12. Legitimate children receive discipline from their parents. Legitimate children in Christ receive discipline from God. He loves us too much to let us sleep. Remember this, loved ones before God can bless you or use you, He must have you. He wants our hearts. One of the greatest ways he gets our hearts is by sovereignly guiding storms over our lives to wake us up to what actually matters in this life. And that's why the Lord does this over and over again as individuals, as families, as churches, as nations. Because he loves us too much to let us sleep. When I choose to run from God, be sure of this, he will stir things up to wake me up. Here's the second thing we learn. If I choose to run from God, he will expose my sin to get my heart. He will. The Lord will expose my sin to get my heart. Look at verse seven now. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So this and just live in the text. Here they are in the midst of this crazy, raging storm. And they find the wherewithal. I don't know how they do this, but they find the wherewithal to cast lots, which we're gonna explain in a second, is throwing dice to try to determine who's responsible, why they thought about that in the first place, of trying to someone here is responsible for the storm. I don't know that happened, but again, God is sovereign over all of this. It says at the end of verse 7. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. And now the questions come. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? What people are you? And then Jonah said, He said, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew he was fleeing from the presence of Yahweh. Why? Because he had told them. So panic and desperation ensues throughout the whole ship. It's here that the crew decides to cast lots. Now the use of casting lots... For prophecy was widespread throughout the ancient world. Again, it would involve some kind of dice that they would throw. And depending on what turned over would indicate the answer that they were seeking. This is how the Roman soldiers decided who got Jesus' clothes. They cast lots. This is how Saul was chosen as king. They cast lots. This is how Matthias was chosen as the disciple to replace Judas Iscariot. They cast lots. How do we reconcile then the casting of lots... With the sovereignty of God. Now, interesting, I want you to know this. After Pentecost, and this is Pentecost Sunday, which is pretty neat. But after Pentecost, this this thing is never again seen in Scripture. After the giving of the Holy Spirit, this practice we never see again in the Bible. But how do we reconcile the casting of lots with the sovereignty of God? Proverbs 16, verse 33 is how? It says this. It says, the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord, Yahweh. The lot is cast into the lap, Proverbs 16, 33, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So the Lord is sovereign over this practice right here in the midst of the storm on the ship. What's most important though is the Lord has used this in his sovereignty to put the spotlight directly on Jonah. He loved Jonah enough, listen, he loved him enough to expose him in his sin. And the sailors seem convinced that it is Jonah And they start asking questions. And it's here, notice this, it's here that Jonah can no longer hide physically. He's been woken up. And it's here that Jonah can no longer hide spiritually. The Lord loves him too much to let his sin go unnoticed. And so it's here his sin becomes exposed. Loved ones, be sure of this. When you run from God, as you are chosen by him and loved by him, it's only a matter of time before your sin Gets exposed. It's only a matter of time. Here's what it says in Numbers verse 32. This is in the context of Moses saying, If you obey, things will be great. If you don't obey, this is what's going to happen to the people of God. If you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, Yahweh again, and be sure your sin will find you out. Sit on that for a second. If you do wrong, if you run, if you disobey the direct, he loves you too much, be sure of this. And this is the word for some here right now. You are running. You are disobeying. You are hiding sin. You are exhausted in this. You are trying to cover, and one lie has led to another lie, to another lie, to another lie. Trust me, I've seen over and over and over again. Because God loves you. Listen, listen. I mean, this is, this is for you right now. Because God loves you, it's only a matter of time before our sins become exposed. Big or small. And what I believe, when statements like this are being said from God's word, specifically from the Lord himself, what I believe he's doing right now, he's giving a warning. I believe there's a higher level of accountability that comes up right now as these sentences are being spoken upon this church right now, that if you are in this place... And you are blatantly sinning and thinking you're getting away from it. I believe today is when the Lord is saying to you, to you as man, to you as woman right now, specifically one-on-one, you and God saying, be very, very careful. He's saying, I'm warning you. This is a warning. You don't come clean. You don't get this thing done. You don't get this out of the way. You don't find brokenness and repentance of sin. I'm warning you, your sins will be found out. The ante just went up. I really believe that. You can't win when you run from God. We can't win. He loves us too much. Some of us would say, oh man, I've been hiding from God for a long time. I've outsmarted him time and time again. Man, I'm clever. I, I got my conscience seared. I got this heart that's so hard. I don't even care anymore. I know, listen, listen, if he loves you, trust me, you're not smarter than God. You are not smarter than God. And the longer we wait, To find brokenness and sin, the more destruction we bring upon ourselves and the consequences increase and increase and increase and increase, not just for ourselves, but those who love us most as well. It's in verse 9 that we see Jonah's heart start to be unveiled now. He begins to come clean. He begins to stop running finally. Notice it's here that he starts to tell the truth. This is where I just, I wonder what he was feeling when he said, I fear the Lord. Like, was it just tormenting his soul like, I fear the Lord, but he knows he's been running from God now. He knows he's been so disobedient from God, but he, but he, but he musters up the sentence, I fear the Lord. Was it with tears in his eyes, with a voice that trembles, was it just a little bit of faith in there? He's like, I wish I feared the Lord. I, I'm a Hebrew. I, I fear the Lord. There must have been some sort of brokenness there. Just, just a, a trickling, a conscience so convicted and stirred and feeling shame. The power of a an awakening heart. Notice too in verse 10, the, the pagans have a greater sense of God's and fearing God than Jonah does. The pagans say, What have you done? They're exceedingly afraid. How could you have done this? And Jonah's there in some form casually going through his life, and, and the pagans are like, They understand seemingly more what the, the significance and severity of this moment is. Like, How could you have done this? It's amazing. Amazing sequence of events. Understand this, loved ones. The greatest turning points in our spiritual lives comes from our exposure and brokenness to our sin without fail. The greatest spiritual turning points in our lives will come when our sin is exposed and brokenness sets in. Can you look back upon your life and can you see God's mercy in allowing your sins to be exposed because he loves you so much and wants your heart and thereby his grace starts to fill your life again? I want you to also see within this text, notice this, that your sin will never just affect you. It's Jonah's sin that has the lives of these sailors in tremendous danger. Be sure. Sometimes we say, well, I'll sin, I'll sin, and if I go down, I go down, but no one around me will. That's such a lie. It never stays within just you. When sin's in the camp, everyone gets affected. When we choose to rebel against God, the ones closest to us get hurt the most, too. See that. See that. Don't believe Satan's lie when he says, ah, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. No big deal. It's harmless. No one's going to get hurt. I mean, how many children have been utterly devastated and destroyed by the sins of their fathers? How many families completely ruined by the sins of whoever? How many churches have been so throttled because of the sins of one or a couple? Just see this, man. Like when the In the midst of the storm, these lives of sailors are at stake because Jonah's disobedience. And there he is, and he's saying, I fear the Lord. And Walking through this right now, it says the sailors were exceedingly afraid. And then they say, how could you have done this? Some of us are here right now, and we have loved ones looking at our lives and saying, Pleading for our hearts, saying, "How could you do this? Please don't go. Please don't do this. Please don't run away. Please, please, come to your senses." Like we have loved ones pleading for us, listen to them, loves. Listen to them. Listen to them. Please don't do it. Please don't do it. Please don't do this. How could you? It's often the voice of God, calling out through His children. Be sure, though, if I run, the Lord will throw things up. Be sure, if I run, the Lord will expose my sin. Because he loves me so much. The longer I go, the worse it gets. I always want to speak to the men in moments like these, but, but really to everyone. It's so sad for me how many men, women, men, in their pride won't let themselves be broken. It's, it's one of the greatest devastating factors in the family and the church and in leadership because you have a, a you, you have a refusal to admit in the sin, and what happens is you are shutting out God's grace upon your life. Like don't you see? Don't you see? Men, men, women, women can be just as proud, but don't you see? Brokenness is where God moves within. Pride is what God opposes. It's just it's mind-boggling to me the fear we have of being real before God and before one another because we're just afraid of looking a certain way, but in reality, we are shutting out the love of God. So what you force God to do, if you continue to be proud, is it gets worse, and the storms increase and increase and increase to the point where God says, I will have to destroy you completely in order to break you completely, that I might love you completely. And that becomes very, very painful. But because God loves us so much, He will not stop pursuing us until he has us. Think about that. Just think about that right now. Are you willing to trust him so that he might... He just wants to love us. That's the mind-boggling part for me. He just wants to love us. Let him love you. Let him. But it takes the pride to be gone, the brokenness to be seen. The Lord will expose my sin. Here's the third thing that we will see within this text. If I run from God, the Lord will break me down to build me up. We just talked about that. The Lord will break me down to build me up. Look at verse 11 now. So the sailors realized this is Jonah's fault. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. That's an amazing scene. Nevertheless, verse 13, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord Yahweh, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Verse 16, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Notice as Jonah's heart continues to get crushed, notice this, finally his flight and his fight stops. He stops running and he stops fighting. He's looking at the circumstances and he knows it's him and he's just like, forget it, I'm done. It's me. You ever been in that spot before? Again, running from God, so exhausting, so tiring. Keeping up with all the conscious stuff and he just, forget, I'm done. It's me, it's me, okay? I'm the one you want, chuck me in the seat. Kind of spot you have to get to to be in that spot, pretty bad one. Notice though, the storm only worsens as God's love tightens. Do you see that? Do you see that there? So, so the men come up with a plan. Let's roll harder. God's like, no, 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 no. That, that's not what I want. I don't want John to be safe right now. I love him too much to let him just get away with this. So the men roll harder. God's love tightens. How? By increasing the severity of the storm. Can you see that in our lives? It's amazing how often we're like, God, take away the pain, take away the heartache, take away the difficulty, take away the trials, take away all the things. And we might be asking God to do the very thing that's against God's will. I want life easy. I want life smooth. I want the waters to be calm. I don't want any ripples. I don't want any frustration. I don't want anything to go wrong in my life, Lord. In fact, I want it my way. And I might be saying, God, I don't want you. And God's like, no, 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 but because I am sovereign. And because I know what's best, I'm actually going to tighten up my love by increasing the velocity and ferocity of the storm in your life. See, that's why if we got what we wanted all the time, we probably wouldn't have got it all. That takes faith, though, to see that truth. That takes faith to stare in the midst of the storm and say, I give up. I trust you. I love you, God. I can't do it anymore. That takes faith. But it's possible. It's absolutely possible. What's amazing here is when Jonah says, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, I'm just like, man, what is going through Jonah's mind as he does that? Pick me up, hurl me into the sea. Pick me up, just throw me in, I'm done. Is it, is it, is it a surrender of like, okay, I, I'm the one to blame. I, I, I got brokenness. Take me in. I want to sacrifice myself for the greater good. Or is it, is it, is it, is it destitution? woe is me, I don't want to live anymore, just pick me up, throw me in, I'm done with this, forget this, I can't run anymore, I'm not preaching to Nineveh, just let me die, is it that? not totally sure, later on in Jonah, we'll see a little bit more of Jonah's complexity within his heart. But notice these pagan sailors, they have compassion. Notice that, they try harder to get back to shore, they care for Jonah. Here's the irony within this, Jonah had no compassion on the pagans. Hey, Jonah, go preach to the Ninevites. I'm not doing that. I'm taking off. Here is Jonah. He's responsible for sin. But the pagan sailors row harder trying to care for Jonah. Isn't it sad So sometimes that unbelievers have such a greater sense, seemingly, of morality than even believers? Isn't it sad sometimes how unbelievers put to shame professed Christians in the church? Isn't it a shame sometimes how professed Christians within the church get out of their spiritual guns all the time, you're shooting everywhere they can see, get in these little tight bubbles and these little holy huddles and all they do is kind of infight with one another and seemingly have no compassion for those who are lost or any love outside themselves? Isn't it sad when that happens? And it does happen. And here the pagan sailors show more compassion. They don't know this guy. They just know that he's running away from his God and they're, they're about to die because of it. row harder! Row harder! Amazing. And Jonah's like, I'm not preaching to anyone. I'm not going to go share the love of God. It's quite something. But this was not to be. They could row as hard as they want. Why? Because the sovereignty of God will always rule over the efforts of men. Always, loved ones. The sovereignty of God will always rule over the efforts of men. Please see that, okay? So you look across this world right now. Do you feel fear? Fear not, man. God's in charge, all right? You're worried about the Middle East? God's in charge. Worried about governments of the world? God's in charge. You're worrying about types of antichrists over this world? God's in charge. You're worried about your kids? God's in charge. Worried about your family? God's in charge. Worried about your church? God's in charge. Loved ones, who's in charge? God's in charge, all right? In your life, who's in charge? God's in charge. Your family, God's in charge. Over your church, God's in charge. God's in charge of everything. Man can say and do whatever they want. At the end of the day, there's one king, one God, one ruler, one who's majestic, one who has all the power, all the cards, all the eggs, all the wealth, all the money, all the everything, and his name is Yahweh. When you look at him, you will cease to be afraid. That's true. That's true. It's true. It's true. And so let that theology affect your mind, your heart, and form a theological smile on your face. All right? Because it's true. There's one God who's in charge. Roll as hard as you want, people. But when God has a plan, he's going to see it go through. So the men see that they are doomed. They take Jonah's advice. They toss them over the edge. But notice they, they, they plead for mercy, Lord. Lord, have mercy on us as we do this. But they hurl him into the sea, and a one, and a two, and, a, and they throw him over. Notice that. And I want to know, as Jonah's going over the edge into the midst of the storm, what's he thinking? What's he thinking? Is he, is he, is he, is he in midair, and he's like, oh, God, I'm sorry. Is he, is, he, is he repenting? I'm such a fool. What have I done? Is he like, oh, good, I just want to die. Let me hit the water. What's he thinking as he's tossed over the edge in the midst of this incredible turn of events? Has he lost all hope? Is he just saying, just get this over with? We won't see Jonah's repentance until chapter 2. But we do know the Lord's plan in his action. No, Jonah doesn't know the great fish is coming. Jonah knows he's about to hit rock bottom, the bottom of the sea, because of his sin. But Jonah doesn't know the grace that is coming to him too. Jonah doesn't know that God is moving to break him in order to build him. And when we run from God, the same thing is true with us. Just before we move on, I want you to see there's so much in God's word here. I love how the Lord uses the sin of Jonah in the storm, but also to blow away the sailors in awe. Look at verse 16 now. It says, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. There's debate whether or not this is true conversion. In my study, I believe it was I want you to see the progression. God's sovereignty over situations where he gets glory. Notice the progression of the sailors' fear. First of all, look at verse 5. It says the uh, the sailors feared the storm. Then notice, notice in verse 10, it says that the sailors were exceedingly afraid of the fact that Jonah worshipped Yahweh. So they're terribly afraid of the storm. Terribly afraid of the fact that Jonah served Yahweh. And then notice verse 16. Now the progression of their fear. They actually are exceedingly afraid of the Lord himself. So you see how God uses the events. They progress from the storm, I'm afraid. Jonah serves as God, I'm afraid. Exceedingly afraid. And now in verse 16 it says, And they feared the Lord exceedingly, the Lord himself. When they saw the wind and the waves cease and the glory that God gets. I just love pointing that out to so say God, God is at work in ways we can never imagine through events that we would never expect. Never limit your God. Never limit. It's so far beyond what we see. But all that to say though, when I run, the Lord will break me down in order to build me up. And this takes us to our fourth and final and brief point is this. The Lord stirs things up, exposes my sin, break me down. Fourthly, the Lord, know this though, when I choose to run, the Lord will always have a plan. The Lord will always, always have a plan. So look at verse 17. Verse 17 says, And the Lord appointed, who's in charge? God. He appointed a great fish. Isn't that awesome, our God? Hey, you, great fish, go swallow that guy. That's awesome. That's awesome. And because he created every cell of the body that... Fish or whatever, whale, whatever it is, he gets him to go over there. Herd, go over there and do it. That's all. Awesome. The Lord appointed, appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So, so because God is in charge, God always, always has a plan. Notice the path of Jonah's journey so far. Let's just recap: prophet of God, called by God, disobedient to God, runs from God, pursued by God, exposed by God, broken by God, and listen, loved by God. God is in control, and God has set him on this path. He has brought a storm. He has exposed his sin. He is breaking him down because his plan is to love him. When it couldn't be worse, I mean, just put yourself in Jonah's life. You've completely bottomed out, tossed over the edge of a ship, into the midst of a raging storm, sinking and drowning. All hope is gone. Then you find yourself stuck in the belly of a fish, of all things. And listen, even there, the Lord has a plan. And a... Especially there in fact Jonah is in the heart of God's plan for his life amazing the Lord will always have a plan always whether or not we see it or not isn't the point the point is God is there is a young family from our church that went away just recently it was their first family vacation ever they must have saved up for a long time to do it they have two children one's about seven years old maybe eight years old and they have seven month old and they just recently went away they went to jamaica for their first family vacation they had three days it was so great so amazing but on the fourth day their seven month old got very 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 sick started vomiting and had diarrhea to the point though that it was getting very very serious and it wasn't stopping they took the, the toddler, the infant, to the hospital in Jamaica. They couldn't figure out what's wrong. The emails started sending quickly. Pray, 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 pray. You could just sense the stress in the emails. They weren't sure what was happening. Here they are, their vacation blowing up, their child seemingly in tremendous distress, this poor seventh-month-old, and here she was. And they couldn't figure out at the hospital in Jamaica, so what they decided to do and had to do, and all the things surrounding when you're out of the country and all kind of stuff, they took by air ambulance from Jamaica and flew to Miami okay and so they had this little infant in the in the helicopter, and only mom could go. Dad and son had to stay. Just imagine being in that place, and you're not sure if your daughter, what's happening, she's going to make it. You don't know the significance of what's going on. And the family's separated, and they go to Miami, and then the dad and the son have to try to get flights to get there the next day, whatever, but they get to Miami, they, they receive some really, really great care. It turns out one of her intestines was folded over, another apparently, and so it's causing all these things. They thought they might have to do surgery, but they didn't. They were able to do some other technique to figure out the problem, and then the child started to stabilize, but Here's the point of what I want to say to you. They're in this place, and all the things that are going on, and all the trauma, all the prayer, all the fear, all the uncertainty, all the all the depends upon God. The mom gets to the hospital in Miami and she's with her seven-month-old daughter, and the stability is there, but in walks in the 17-year-old girl who just tried to kill herself by attempting suicide. Okay? Now the mom from our church has not slept in two days. She has watched her seven-month-old essentially come up to the point of, is she going to live? Has no resources in her own strength. She starts talking to this girl who tried to kill herself. She has felt compassion and love for the gospel of Jesus Christ. She figures in her heart, I really like this girl. She talks to her. She loves her. They bring up Christ. The first thing the girl says, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in God. Whatever happened, moments later, as they talked about the love of God, because God pursues relentlessly This mom from our church with all her trial leads the 17-year-old to Jesus Christ. She gives her life to her. And listen, the family from our church was not Jonah, but this girl. Just just imagine that. Just just imagine for this family and the sequence of events under the sovereignty of God. They take a trip to Jamaica, their child gets severely sick. They're air ambulanced to Miami. They sit in this hospital room and God had a plan at that moment for a 17-year-old Jonah who was running away from God in the pit of despair trying to end her life and she met with the love of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ and now she will live forever. Amen, amen, amen. That's awesome. That's awesome. Why? Because the Lord always has a plan. And you know what the mom said from our church? She walked in to tell her husband what had just happened, and she said, "Hun, hun, God meant for us to be here. From Canada to Jamaica to Miami, only God, only God. And I wondered, would I have been available to be used by God in that moment when I went through what they went through? But they were amazing, amazing. There's one God who is sovereign, And can we trust him and see him? When I choose to run, he will catch up to me, he will love me, and he will always have a plan. I want to end by speaking to three people here today. Three people here today. Number one, you're running from God and your heart is hard. You're running from God, your heart has been so hard. I implore you, stop running. Repent of sin, turn to Christ. Repent of your sin, you can't win. You can't win apart from Christ. Repent from your sin and turn to Christ. He loves you. He loves you. You must let him love you. The second person I speak to today, you're running from sin, but frankly, you're exhausted. You are so tired of your plan. You're so tired of your sin. You're so tired of your way. And the conviction that God has placed upon you, even during the service, you're just like, I'm done. I can't keep doing this. It's time to stop, to repent, and to run to God and let him love you. Let him love you. Let him love you. You're exhausted. And you will continue to be exhausted as long as you resist who he is and what he has for you. The third person I speak to is you're running from God or you're not running from God. But you desire to run to God. You're all in right now. You're like, you know what? I got nothing on my own. I'm not trying to do it my way. I want to go to the Lord. And you're crying out Psalm 121 right now. You're saying, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. And you're like, Lord, would you fill my life again? Father, I want to run to you. I need you for every part of me. I need you for my marriage. I need you for my, um, for my work. I need you for my family. I need you for my leadership. I need you for my church. God, I, I can't do this. But you can because my help comes from the Lord. And you always have a plan, Lord. So here's my life again. Here's my life again today. Here I am, Lord. Oh, help me and fill me. God, I need you to be who you are in my life. I'm not trying on my own. I'm not fighting against you. I'm not going anywhere else. I need you. God, would you be who you are for me today, again, in your grace and your love. Not that I deserve it. Simply because you love me. I run to you, oh God. Let's pray. Father, for those three people right now, I pray. For the hard heart in this room right now, in your mercy, soften that man or woman. Soften them. Oh God, I pray. Speak to them powerfully. Let them see your love. They can't win, they can run, they can run, they can run, but they can't hide. And you have proven that again today. Lord, I pray there would be a deep repentance of their sin and a deep longing right now for Jesus Christ. God, can I ask right now for your glory in this moment in the name of Jesus Christ, would you grant tears of repentance to many right now? I wait on you, Lord. Would you grant tears of repentance to many right now. True confession. True repentance. True brokenness. There are some of you here right now, you have not let God love you. Your pride has prevented from God's grace to wash you clean. How long will you let a fear of becoming real block God's love for your life? How long will you do that? Let today be the day That you give up, finally. Give up, husband. Give up, woman. Give up, child. Give up. How long will it be about you? How long? God is coming for you, and you know it. He pursues you, and you know it. He loves you, listen. And you know it. For those who are exhausted today, you're exhausted. Rest in Christ by repenting, of sin he rushes to the broken hearted he saves the crushed in spirit he is near to those who are humble and love him he opposes the proud though but he gives grace to the humble Lord I'm so tired Father forgive me Father forgive me grant me rest in you I'm done I give up I can't run anymore fill my life and thirdly the person today that says I'm not running from him I'm running to him my help comes from the Lord. My help comes from the Lord. And so I look to you, God. I place my hands, Lord, open to you in my lap right now, cupped as, a, as an indication of God, fill my life. Fill my life again. Help me, Lord, to know your strength. Help me, God, to know your will and your love. Grant me tears, Lord, of joy and love and faith. Even now, I pray. In the name of Jesus.